Strike, O mighty one, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellberg, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. In a world where many still crave escape but cannot afford local or out-of-town conventions, it's important to remember that there are still many worlds yet to be discovered thanks to the DCC third-party publishing community. Tonight we'll be talking with Ed Stanek, one of the powers behind Rayorgan Games, about three such three PP settings. I'm Judge Jen, and with me tonight are my cohorts, Judge Jeff. Hello, friends. Judge Julian. Hi. And none other than Mr. Stanek himself. Hello, Ed. Greetings. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having Uh, me. You know, we've been away for a little bit. I guess we should do a quick bit of catch-up. Welcome, friends. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it. A drink of your most expensive. Tavern Talk. Well, it's our favorite place over in Tavern Talk. Uh, with or without your libations of choice, I guess. Sorry, Julian. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll start with Ed. Uh, last two to three weeks, any DCC fun in your life? Well, so I did uh, first playtest of the Moon Locket, which was a uh, funnel that I wrote uh, set in uh, Isles of the Celt setting that uh, I made uh, for the sake of Gen Con primarily. Uh, I'm going to run it Origins too, but um, it was the first funnel that I've written. So I wanted to make sure to give that a, a test go. And so, uh, uh, and and thank you, Jen, for being, being a part of that. Uh, it was... Uh, good to to go through that and make some tweaks for it before before it went live and then just a couple of days ago we were at lexicon and Ooh. in uh, lexington and uh you know the, the games were a lot of fun uh i ran uh uh two of my well i ran one of my dcc adventures and uh an x crawl adventure and in both cases the players had no background with DCC, but they just loved both games. Um, uh, and the one guy, there was a vendor that was right next to our table, and the one guy went right over there and bought the DCC rulebook. Uh, so that was uh, nice. that was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, they all they all fell, or at the very least, they all were very engaged and, and enjoyed the system. And several of them decided, yeah, we got to play this system. So. It uh, the uh, the hotel was a nightmare, but uh, the con itself was was fun time. So uh, I'm glad we went. Do you have an approximation of the attendance for that con? Uh, if I had to guess, I would say probably something on the order of about 500 or so. Um, they they were pretty, yeah, yeah. They were they were pretty uh, spread out into um, uh, multiple rooms. Um, it was not. Um, like a lot of small cons, for whatever reason, it was not role play heavy. Uh, most of it was seemed to be board games and card games. Um, they had uh, and their their board game room. Uh, I'd say probably had about uh, sixty people going on in it or so. And um, so yeah, it, it was. Uh, and I don't. I, this is the first time I've ever been to it, so I don't know if that was typical for them. But uh, you know, uh, it was a it was a nice, fun local con. Um, so 
was awesome. it was good to go. And I guess Goodman Games was originally supposed to be there, um, but uh, had 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 opted not to. And so, uh, all the more so, I'm glad to have been able to be there and and have a presence and uh, uh, get get more people on board. Perfect. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Well, let's see. I've um, in the past few weeks, I have been in the Blades Against Bandwidth campaign. However, I have also had my final session with Blades Against Bandwidth uh, because my oh, schedule no. is changing. I am no longer available at the time that they record the episode. So sadly, I have uh, moving forward. I will not be a part of the Blades team. Um, super wow, sad about that. That's a switch. Yeah. Yeah, I love that group. Love them so much. But sadly, it doesn't work for me. Um, and my new schedule that I'll be starting later this month. Um, but I still have my weekly D and D game, and that's been a um, ton of fun. Um, just this last week, we had a character die, but then another character is a vampire. So that vampire just brought him back to life and he's now a vampire and uh, good times all around. Um, also this week, I signed up for the silver badge for Gary Con. Um, Jen and Julian, are you planning on attending Gary Con this year? As of right now, obviously things may change, but. I will have the jingliest of damn bells on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Julian? Uh, certainly. I mean, you know, if the world doesn't burn down or we don't get insurrected or, um, COVIDed, you know, um, I'm yeah. not sure which of those is more frightening. <laughs> yeah. I, I, as you can see, I'm highly optimistic, but, um, barring all of that, uh, I plan on being in person at game hall con and also at Gary con, uh, game hall con in the, the end of, uh, October and Gary con, when is it Jeff? March, March of next year. Like and last Ed, weekend. Have, have you yeah. have you been to Garicon? Are you have you ever been to one? Are you planning to? No, we were ironically, um, we, we'd heard such great things about it. Uh, talking with folks last time we were at Origins and thought, oh, we got to go there. And then lockdowns came along, and um, yeah, uh, and I was actually I was hoping that they were going to be live this year, um, but then uh, they were not, and that was a letdown, especially because after last year. We decided we're going to all the cons we can. I, 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 you know, which is part of the reason why we went to Lexicon. Um, we usually don't go to Gen Con, but we're going this year. Um, we go to. We're fortunate that we live within driving distance of both Gen Con and Origins. Um, but we're going to whatever cons we can sink our teeth into. And so I was, I was disappointed that, that Gary Con wasn't live this year. But uh, yeah, I absolutely would like to go next year. It, it sounds like it's a, a really neat experience. Now, I've got a question for Jen and Julian. Now, um, I've signed up for my silver badge. You can't sign up for the rooms yet. And since I left all social media back in December, I don't even know how to know when the rooms are going to be available. <laughs> Do either of you know how that works and how they They'll, communicate that outside of social media? Yeah, they, they send out email blasts with updates as to okay. all of the timelines. Okay. And word has it somewhere around the beginning of September is when they're supposed to open up. Okay, cool. Well, that's all I have for the tavern. Okay, then. Um, for, let's see, for my part, uh, I think Julian and I are both recovering from that Kickstarter. Uh, all of the appearances everywhere. It's bizarre. Um uh, uh, personally, I am mapping out a road trip for all of the used bookstores I can hit between here and Farmland USA for some, you know, much needed family thing from blah, 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 blah. Uh, but 
the goal is to find all of the really cool Appendix N that's hiding in the used bookstores. Gearing up, uh, apparently we're going to Gen Con this year. And for the very first time in my life, I will be running a game at Gen Con. I've been attending since SoCal in 2003, and I've never once run a game at Gen Con. So I am thrilled beyond belief for that. I am depressed as all hell that I don't get to work the Goodman booth at the same time. Um, We've got our weekly game kind of went every other week for our Friday night Shud Friends the one that Andy's running us through the Shutter Mountains. Um, that means the Moon Locket was indeed my last bit of gaming, and it was pretty cool. Um, oh, and I guess last weekend, uh, Yorkus Rex was running on the TTRPG Pickup Con, which he's taken to doing every month, which uh, it, that's a free convention, and our little mini online online mini con. There we go. Words in the right order, Jen. Uh the Night Brings Death was the name of the adventure set in Lankmar, and that dude has the setting down so pat that I am picking up pointers from him to bring to my table. So that's uh, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Sorry, what, uh, was, Julian, uh, what was that guy's name again, Jen? Um, he goes by Yorkus Rex on all the social medias, so I'm not going to out that <laughs> no i mean i'm not gonna out him if you don't know him um, yeah, it's y-o-r-k-u-s rex yorkus mm-hmm. rex it is two words mm-hmm. very good yep yep and yeah it was it was really nicely done um julian cool. i know you've got a couple things going on yeah i mean um did, did, let's let's say the dying earth kickstarter was of my month pretty much with a few other things thrown in there i so, bet <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, you were in, engaged in a lot of that, but um, enough said. It was a crazy time, and we got to hang out with Errol and John Vance, and all. I mean, unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, uh, that as you were saying, recovery, right? So, uh, after catching our breath and taking a week off that, and so on, um, have been working on a little side project uh, that I'll talk probably about in my next episode. Our next episode. But um, also can share the news that I have finished a, an X-Crawl adventure and uh, turned that in. And so I spent a lot of the last couple months doing the final playtests of that. And uh, it was I, I had a ton of fun. I, I, I like X-Crawl. I've run a bunch of X-Crawl before. I've always enjoyed it. And uh, I didn't think I wasn't going to like it, obviously. But I liked it. You know, I just had a blast. Uh, you know, running it, writing it. I ran a couple uh, X-Crawl adventures again, you know, to get in the groove and, uh, you know, relearn it. I played and ran some adventures and just had a blast with it. So um, obviously somewhere out there on the horizon is an X-Crawl Kickstarter that I'm uh, pretty psyched for. And uh, no word of when that's in, so don't ask me because I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, somewhere on the horizon it's out there and there's stuff getting done and it's pretty cool. Um, so there's that. And then I also got a, um, I also got a uh, little zine here in the emails from Mr. Christopher Willett, CJ Willett. And I thought I would do a quick mini review. I really enjoyed it. And also he has a Kickstarter coming live. Uh, it was called Aeon, that's A-E-O-N, Ancient Greece. 
Uh, it was a small zine with uh, just some rules. It's kind of zero level tooled at this point. So it had some rules for funnels and creating zero level characters in classical Greece. Uh, so, you know, Homeric Bronze Age backgrounds, uh, luck rolls and all that stuff that you would need to, uh, to do that. Um, it comes with a zero level funnel adventure, of course, and that's based on the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur. Uh, it has a very classical feel, you know, it involves the Daedalus, uh, the mythological figure, and uh, uh, his uh, son, somewhat uh, involves his son or son's Icarus, which is part of the adventure. Uh, and interestingly, even though it's firmly rooted in the classical stuff, has kind of a weird gonzo science fantasy thing that sort of fits right in that DCC mode. So uh, quite enjoyed it. And he should be going live around September 1st, but I'll put a Kickstarter page. Sometimes you can link the page before it goes live so you can, you know, follow it up and so forth. Can I also say some things about this scene? Yeah, absolutely. So I looked at it. I love it. The art is fantastic. The feel is super Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, I thought the adventure was um, was also very cool and fun. It also seemed like it was an adventure that would work, work really well for a con setting, especially since it's a labyrinth. I think if you wanted to take out the actual exploring of the labyrinth and instead just kind of had them encounter the rooms in kind of a random order that you maybe roll the table, you just roll to see which order they ran, um, they hit the rooms in or something potentially. And then when you know that like the con's almost over, the, the session's almost over, then you just have them go to the final room and ta-da, you've got a con adventure. Um, I also want to say I, there's one thing about this zine, though, that made me very, very, very angry. And that is page six. There is a whole page of Greek names, but they are not in a table. <laughs> I want them in a table. I want to roll a die and get a random Greek name. I don't want an entire page of just names. Also, one of the names on wow. the list was Melissa, which surprised me. I didn't realize Melissa was a classic Greek name, but I Googled it and it is. But huh. other than page six, which made me furious, <laughs> I loved this scene. Furious. <laughs> furious. Furious. Well, uh, I was tearing the PDF in half. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> you were using your mind, your virtual reality powers to go in Tron style and rip it in half. I wish I could have seen that in my cyber mind eye. <laughs> and yet I'm happy I didn't see that. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks, Jeff. That's good. So maybe And here we'll I have... am, sad that we don't have a, a little bumper to splice in here for, hey, mini review. Oh, and also I really like that they included a um, inspirational reading and an inspirational viewing section. I thought that was really cool as well and very helpful. I, I like it. It's it's a, I like, yes, Appendix N, whatever, but I know that GURPS also does it for like almost all of their supplements. They have like an inspirational reading and inspirational viewing section. And I think if you're especially going to be doing something that's hitting a very kind of niche setting, I think those kinds of stuff were super helpful. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, we will uh, we'll post a link to the startup, and we might hear more from Mr. Willen in a future episode, uh, because this is the first in a series planned, so uh, hopefully more to come. And Very I think cool. that is it for me. And, you know, I thought I'd try something a little different today, uh, based on some listener recommendations. We're going to go straight into Mighty Deeds. Let the combat begin! 
Why behold our hero? Mighty deeds. So, back to our guest, Ed. Tell us Hello. about yourself. Uh, for for what we're talking about tonight, I think it'd be helpful if we knew some of some of your background. You have a lot of varied interests. Yeah. So uh, I don't I don't know how much of that uh, comes into play here. Um, so uh, let's see. I started uh, with basic and AD&D in 1980, um, and played first edition for. I don't know, decades, whatever that amounted to. Uh, and then got dragged kicking and screaming into third edition, which I never really warmed <laughs> up to because it's just, there's too many rules there. You know, it, uh, I could go on forever about that, but I don't want to get overly preachy. Um, so DCC and, came along and you saw the light. Oh my gosh. You, you have no idea. Um, well, in fact, I'll, <laughs> so, so what happened, uh, 2016, uh, I'm at Origins, and just randomly, for the most part, probably based on an event description, I signed up for this event. It's called Dungeon Crawl Classics, and it happened to be run by that god among men, Brendan LaSalle. Oh, God, don't Yay. tell him that. And, <laughs> and he got me hooked on DCC. I, I, it was such an... an I, I, have, I have no recollection of what the adventure was called. I remember how it went. Um... But we had such an absolute blast, and his ability to to roll with things spontaneously is unmatched among GMs. And um, so then the next day, I had an event that I had signed up for just to fill up some space. Didn't know what it was. Was this thing called X Crawl? And I come into the same room, and it's the same guy running the, this game. And I cannot tell you how pumped I was. Uh, so yeah, that's that. That was how I, I fell in love with with Goodman Games. Uh, but unfortunately, we could not get our gaming group to to join in. Um, it was it was D and D three five or nothing. We need to pause there for a quick second, and this is our moment to say, Joseph Goodman, give Brendan LaSalle a raise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I oh, would man. totally agree with that. D- yeah. Do we start getting spiffs based on converts? I, I missed that memo. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, we couldn't get our, our gaming group on, so my only chance run uh, playing DCC was when we'd go to cons. Uh, and then we we started up with a new gaming group uh, fairly recently, and um, got them on board with with DCC. And fortunately, now it's uh, uh, it's the only game that we play now um, with that group and with one other group. So. Um, Let's see, as far as the varied other interests, uh, well, the ones that are relevant, uh, I've always been super fascinated with history. Um, I toyed around with majoring, uh, with doing it as a, a secondary major in college, but I was a chemistry major and so didn't really have a lot of uh, extra time in my in my curriculum. But um, that certainly has played into the flavor and nature of the products that, uh, that we've put out for Rare Organ Games. That definitely comes through. Now, is DCC the first system that you have uh, published anything for? Uh, published, yes. I'm, I've written a ton, you know, because I've, I've been jamming since uh, shortly after I started playing and largely have been into running my own adventures. Um, but the thing is, other companies are, for the most part, 
fairly prohibitive about um, you putting out stuff that is officially compatible with their system. Uh, and yes. <laughs> when I ran into those, and then con- and then I uh, contacted Goodman Games, I cannot tell you the night and day difference. Um, it's it, it was it was so it was such a breath of fresh air that uh, the response from Goodman Games was just uh, yeah, basically as long as it's not something that makes our brand look bad, by all means. And no, there's not a charge for the uh, the right to to do it. We just have to be okay with it and. Um, so yeah, no looking back now. As far as I'm concerned, uh, other systems are dead to me now. Uh, did you did you really want to put nipples into your on the cover of your adventures though? Because we <laughs> or, or do we not want to go? Down oh yeah, you know, I, there's I, that. I, heard, I caught that on on listening to some of the, the past. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I don't have any particular need to do that, so uh, I'm good. Good, 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 good. good that's the right answer. Well, the question was if you want to have female nipples on there. Male nipples is fine. Uh, yeah. oh, or male brother. chest with no nipples is even better. Sort of preferred. No, that, no that, that's just weird. That's, that's creepy. <laughs> that's, that's a staple of art, though, and a pulpy whatever. So anyway. And, and it's usually uh, you and your wife putting these together. Is that correct? Yeah. So that has varied um, by the uh, project. Um, so our that first one was the the Pax Lexway campaign guide, and so yeah, we we worked uh, hand in glove on that, and uh, did fairly roughly the same amount of writing for it. Uh, my daughter contributed some as well, um, and then uh, for all the projects I've done, the the as well as whatever amount of writing I've done, the uh, uh, the editing, the uh, uh, typesetting, the nuts and bolts of the publishing process uh, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, with the campaign guide, uh, m- my wife and I wrote that one largely together. Uh, Isles of the Celts was entirely me. Uh, and to a certain extent, I wanted to, I wanted to know if I could do it, you know, it's just a solo uh, uh, product of, of the same relatively same scope. Um, so I did that one, wrote that one entirely myself. Um, the modules, uh, the adventure modules uh, that we've put out uh, have all been uh, solely my writing. Uh, and then when we got to uh, Kingdoms of Africa, um, I, I contributed very little writing to that. Uh, mostly I was project uh, project manager or project organizer and um, uh, editor and, and so forth and uh, let our, our other authors take care of that one. But I figure we'll get to that when we talk about. Ed, uh, where where are you based at? Uh, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. Ah, do you go to Gateway Games? Do you know those guys, Rick and Jim Wampler and those guys? You know, I I haven't been, and in fact, I just found out about them uh, within about the past month or so. Uh, wow. We're over on the west side, and so it would be a bit of a drive for us. But um, so I I don't think we'd we'd be going there to to shop so to speak uh, but well, i am you can couple uh, it and, with a trip to jungle gyms <laughs> well there you go absolutely um but uh i am th- wanting to contact both them and uh uh the other game store in town yada quest and um see about running stuff on site if they're if they're currently doing those um because i i figure 
that would be a, a, another opportunity to, to get more people, more people on board and introduced. Yeah. And Todd Bunn is the owner of Gateway Games and he is just an incredible human being. So if you get there, say hi, say hi to Todd for me. All right. I'll do that. And do you, uh, do you do this, um, chili with spaghetti noodles thing that I've heard about it just with, with cinnamon, <laughs> you know, so here's the thing. I did not grow up in Cincinnati. And so, um, I, I love the conies. I'll tell you that, but the, the chili and spaghetti still strikes me as strange. Um, I moved here to go to college, uh, which was quite some time ago, but, um, and, and I'll grant the, the chili is a little bit of an acquired taste, but I've warmed up to it. Hmm. Well, no, the bigger question is Gold Star or Skyline? Skyline, of course. Thank you. <laughs> we actually Although have a Skyline location out here. <laughs> What's that? We actually have a Skyline uh, franchise location out here. Oh, okay. So we walked in, we're like, yes! <laughs> our favorite, though, is our homemade uh, recipe. Which, well, yeah, uh, I'll always, have to send that out to yeah. you. It's, uh, it's got a little bit more bite to it. Awesome. <laughs> Well, I guess we should uh, go through these in order of release, right? Starting with uh, Pax Luxquay. Am I saying it correctly? You are. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm taking that one. Take um, it away. Yeah. So uh, this uh, is a alternate. I think you were describing it in the intro, um, Ed, as a an alternate history setting. Um, it is based in the Great Sea region. I think you're you're calling it there. So it's the Mediterranean world, essentially of the of the Roman Empire, and uh, you know that sort of classical Greek and Roman uh, Empire of that era. Um, it is. It does have elves, dwarves, halflings, dragons, uh, goblins, and so on. And it actually sort of tickled me because, uh, and maybe you, I, I don't know if you've made this active association or when you might have had, but the the confluence of the Roman setting with X-Crawl really amused me. And I thought not that you 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 could subtly position this as a as an antecedent to X-Crawl, right? Because it's based in the very Romanish new North American Empire. So you mm-hmm. know and it and it had elves and dwarves and stuff in the past. So Maybe, maybe Pax Lexquay is the forerunner of, you know, it's not going to officially mm-hmm. be, right? But, you know, I'm just saying. Well, well yeah, actually, <laughs> I had not thought about that. And then Daniel Bishop, um, when he did a review of the Pax Lexquay campaign guide, uh, mentioned that notion. And I thought, oh, I, I love that. I've, I've got to work that in somehow. And in fact, one of the adventures that I wrote, uh, which is called We Who Are About to Die, uh, is a, a three-part, uh, or is a three-section, three-adventure collection. And one of those, which is called For the Glory of Rome, is very X-Crawl-ish using DCC rules in the Roman Colosseum. Uh, and then I wrote a actual X-Crawl adventure called The Eternal City, which is based in quote-unquote modern-day uh, X-Crawl-day Rome, um, so using X crawl rules in a modern day Rome. Hmm. I think it's just like driving in Italy would be enough of a hair raising <laughs> adventure for anybody, or especially in Rome. But uh, but that's a, a story for another day. Um, yeah, that's great. I of course Bishop uh, said that Bishop Schmisha. 
there he is stealing in my thunder, not even on the show, stealing my thunder, Daniel. So, uh, as, uh, as far as I could see, Ed, I, what, I, what I didn't see is like a strong tie to like, if you, if you went in saying, oh, am I in the era of Caligula or Claudius or Nero or whatever, I didn't see that kind of direct tie into, you know, very precise imperial history because it's set like in the sort of in the future from that era or something. Yeah, so that was we we did that quite intentionally um, to give it a a Roman flavor, but not because I could just picture if we if we try the same thing with what we did with the, the deities, if we tried to make it modeled really closely after there'd be people who, oh, well, this wasn't quite how that was. Yeah, it's an alternate world, you know, so um, Mm -hmm. in order to, so we figured, you know, we'll we'll have a lot more divergence than just uh, the the simple, obvious things of fantasy elements. And so, yeah, it's it's very much, uh, of course, the the places are the same. The 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 map is is a map of the the Roman Empire region, and and the the settings, the the portions of the of that region are modeled after. For example, our Egypt is modeled after ancient Egypt of the Roman era, but it's not exactly the same. They're all meant to have that flavor without being. Um, being very tightly associated with it, and also I, being that I'm I'm a I'm a history nut, I would have gotten too obsessive if we had tried to make it actually following it. So th- that was probably for the best. It's almost maybe like uh, what Robert Howard did with Conan in Hyperborea, where the there's ar- sort of historical archetypes that he used, right? Stygia for Egypt, I think, right? And various places. I, I don't remember him well enough to speak to each one. I'm not sure if Stygia is right, but I think it is. It is, yeah. Yeah, but so he does that sort of archetypal thing in a way you might even consider it kind of in those uh, terms. But so I, from the intro, now I, I saw that you have a few adventurers uh, published and you've touched on that a little bit. It's, my impression was, you know, from the intro to the campaign guide, uh, adventurers would often or commonly could uh, be working in the Magnus Legis, the Hand of Law, who are uh, special squads sent out on missions, uh, you know, concerning magic or things, magical things gone wrong in the Empire. Now, obviously, you could, it's a sandbox setting, you could do anything you want, but that's kind of a one sort of adventure hook that you're using uh, typically in, in framing the adventures, it sounds like. Yeah, so, and that kind of comes back to the what got, what produced the the impetus for for the world and to begin with. Um, as we were starting the the one new gaming group that we we play with, we were starting them on DCC, and we decided, well, we want to have a campaign setting because I've I've always loved the things like World of Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms and you know the the detailed campaign settings where. As you stay within that world and that realm, things feel more persistent and real. And so I thought, well, we want to have something like that. Well, okay, well, what would we want that to be like? And at some point in that pondering of possibilities, it just, and we wanted to have a lot of different cultures so you could accommodate different types of adventures. We wanted to have a lot of different climates and environments. 
and and also a lot of different kingdoms so that each person I wanted to encourage some of the other people to take, try their hand at GMing so they could say, well, I'm going to kind of run this area so we don't step on each other's toes in terms of storyline. And for whatever oh, reason, cool it just idea. struck me that the Roman Empire had all those elements. It had uh, a wide variety of terrains. It has wide variety of cultures. Um, and it would be something that that people could relate to and, and in, in instantly call to mind what we mean when you talk about these things. And so um, then having uh, – one of one of the other things that, as we thought about, well, we might if we're going to have other people in the group take trying their turn, trying their hand at jamming. One of the things that we've used that in my very distant past uh, as a as an adventure idea or as a campaign idea was that the players were part of a special forces group, and one thing that that gives you is if you're doing these individual missions that you are being sent on as opposed to something you're choosing, it's very easy for to hand off from one GM to another and, again, not have to worry that you're stepping on someone else's toes from a storyline standpoint. And so that was one of the reasons, one of the big reasons why I worked in the, the Manus Legus notion um, to the, the background. And, you know, it was easy when I came up with this notion of, okay, there was this big magic war and there's all these leftover problems. Well, then this group can be dealing with addressing some of those those uh, problems and and so uh the special forces approach was largely um uh spawned by that notion of making it easy to hand off from one gm to another so uh we gotta just time wise i gotta hand off here but i wanted to touch on a couple things um before i move on to patron stuff quick question could you would you be able to fairly seamlessly play these things together? Like say, hey, I want to run a Roman thing, then they're going to go up to the British Isles and do the Celts thing, and then maybe they're going to adventure down to Africa, you know, below North Africa, which is really part of the Roman world, mm-hmm. but you know, Sub-Saharan or whatever, East Africa, and do you know, and go down and have adventures down there. So would these things integrate pretty easily if you wanted to explore that far? Oh yeah, absolutely. We we made them very intentionally to be part. They are part of the same world. They're just discussing different regions of that world, hmm. um, which was one of the when we were doing the the, the original campaign guide, and we kind of considered making covering Britannia as part of that because that was part of the Roman Empire. And no, we've got too much already. We'll do that as a separate <laughs> book. So it's just different regions of the same uh, the same world environment, and we tried to keep consistent with with our call and in fact the timelines in the different books do make reference to each other hmm. cool cool um so i thought one of the uh, interesting things actually addressed a question that i've got at the table uh, and an email a few times which is hey are patrons gods and could wizards make gods patrons and this uh, you actually sort of address that in a very direct way in the text and say, hey, yes, uh, clerics worship patrons, uh, but because they are worshippers, not you know, pact makers. Essentially, you have a unfortunately, I don't have it at my fingertips, but you have an elegant sentence or two about the wizards, you know, access their magic, you know, by 
with you know crazy uh, ma- magic real- reality altering stuff, uh, and it almost sounded like they're they're cheating a little bit versus uh, worshiping, right? So that that's why things get out of control and they can get corruption and use spellburn and stuff like that. It's it's uh, less worship and it's more uh, finagling, if you will. So I, I thought that was an interesting take, and I thought that it was fun that um, spellburn for each, you know, of the patrons. Some of them had a fairly full, you know, what we say is the quote-unquote full patron write-up, this Cesarecon template type thing. And others were a little, you know, briefer overview. But um, I thought it was interesting that they, that you had little Spellburn notes, like if you are, you know, for this elven uh, deity, if you are Spellburning for them in the cause of defending, you know, X, Y, and Z kind of typical elf stuff, that you can double your spellborn points, right? And that kind of, so very thematic. And uh, it was interesting because it made it slightly, tied them together. And uh, and that way you can get rid of all clerics and make Jeff happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just give a quick note to uh, to to explain, uh, to, to kind of clarify how, how, how we bundled all that and how it works. So yeah, uh, in our in our adaptation, the patrons are essentially all lesser gods, um, uh, kind of in line with what we felt like uh, in in ancient Greek and Roman mythology. The the gods and goddesses were very powerful, but they had limitations, and they had you know very real humanish personalities. So clerics get their power as basically miracles that the god is doing for them. The power is coming from from the patron. Wizards, the patron basically just says, gives them some hints. Of you want to go mess with reality? Here's some hints on how you go do that. But the wizard is doing it totally of his own devices, and so yeah, that's why he's got the risk of corruption and so forth. But by the same token, he's not as indebted to the patron. He still is expected to follow the the, the patron's concerns, but is not going to be called upon like the cleric is. Gotcha. And so one of the things that was an uh, implication of that is that clerics always get all the patron spells, which Alvos liked clerics having some some of their spell selection being driven by the god that they serve. Uh, yeah, that makes Jeff happy. <laughs> it I does, guess, yes. I guess we do have to mention, just because people might be... Um, might go in saying, oh, I can, I'll have Jupiter as my patron or uh, Ceres or... Uh, or uh, Minerva or whatever. Um, the the they're not named that way. I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't really detect like that kind of archetypal match either. But I might have missed it or something. But they're not like the standard Roman gods per se. Correct. Just like the history is is uh, evoke evocative of Roman, but you know significantly different. Likewise, the we wanted the the patrons to be Roman esque. You know, for Truvius, the god of valor, for example, um, is is a very Roman kind of thing. But um, the 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 patrons are not uh, historical ones, and that was also intentional um, to to avoid being close, but not close enough. Um, and and then we tried to do likewise with the with each of the other racial ones and so forth to be. You know, this feels like an elven patron. This feels like a dwarven patron, etc. Cool. And I can say, after getting into, I think it was round three of the arena game, it really did feel gladi- gladiatorial. Wow, that's a 
rough one. That's like rural. Uh, <laughs> but it really did feel like a, a gladiator battle. And yeah, I, didn't you do that as part of the um, Thousand Worlds, the, the yeah. 1000 Insane Worlds of DCC? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was uh, for the glory of Rome. Yeah. That's, I, I couldn't remember the title for the life of me. Um, Google is too hard some days. Uh, okay, so to kind of dovetail into Julian's question, uh, Isles of the Celts, which is the next one, is actually billed as an expansion of the campaign world presented in Pax Lexquay. And the alternate reality here is that the Roman incursion into Britain was unsuccessful, which left Britain under Celtic control. And I I love how we've got the the geography with you know you've broken it down into the the 14 different kingdoms and I mean the multiple races of fae that you dive into really adds a nice flavor to that. Uh, was there anything in particular that you were using as a reference like was there any one inspiration behind that? I wouldn't say there was a, a any particular one that stood out. Um, I, I did a ton of reading of um, uh, Scottish and Welsh and Irish legends and folklore, um, and uh, was was just trying to to get very close to to the feel of that. Um, and I wouldn't say there was there was any one uh inspiration that was that was more than any of the others uh it was just i wanted to um i I wanted it to to feel again very close to evocative of 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 the real history without without being on target you know the, the names are all the the celtic names uh you know it's not it's not wales ireland and scotland it's cumri erie and alba Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the kingdom names were actual Celtic kingdom names, um, and the the social structure was was based on on on, on the historical, um, and and so I just tried to mirror uh, the folklore that I was finding. Uh, a co- in a few cases, I took a, an actual folk piece of folklore that I had found, and then kind of expanded it into into something more fantasy. Um, but most of the folklore that's in there, I wrote myself. Yeah, I think the only uh, familiar things that one might see here is the breakdown of the Sealy Court versus the Unsealy Court, and yeah, the rest of it. I I would agree. It's like just a sidestep away from where you would normally find it in your Celtic mythology books. Uh, I I also have to give you hats off for the uh, patron, Scatha, because I know which uh, character she's taken from. <laughs> that That's really, really nice. Um, I like the fact that we, we get 10 new patrons and deities. Interestingly, since we get druids here, um, many patrons offer the same spells, and so you could have druids casting the same spells but worshipping different deities. Yeah, yeah, and, and one of the other uh, pieces to that is 
you know, we have this concept which I which comes basically from I think first edition D and D that druids were nature nature worshippers. Historically, that's not what it was. Druids were the priests of the Celtic people, of the Celtic gods. And so, yeah, the the druid class that I wrote up there there is a slight nature bent. Uh, some of the nature oriented spells they get a bonus on casting, uh, as a po- right. and then as a trade off they don't have turning, uh, and their their healing is slightly weaker than than a than the cleric class. But the the, the fact that they don't have to be monotheistic, um, and they get that plus one die bonus to casting that that's big. On the select spells, on the on the right. nature oriented spells. So right. yeah, there's a slight homage to the to the nature bent still, but they are largely still seen as they're not nature worshippers. They are a priest or priestess of one of the Celtic gods. And on the note of the patrons there, uh, on page ninety five of this particular release, uh, you have the table for patron bond with all of the patrons there in one place with the results of, you know, boons that you would be granted if you were to bond with that patron. And I absolutely love the fact that you have all of that in one place on one page in a table, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, in want, fact, I want tables. <laughs> and in fact, well, I'm a big fan too. I'm, I'm hyper obsessed with organization, but that approach too was something that that was a new spin that we added that uh in addition to whatever normal result you get for patron bond if it's cast by a cleric not if it's cast by a wizard but if it's cast by a cleric you get some small but substantial boon that is related to the nature of that god um which again i've always liked the notion that the the magical impact of following whatever god should have something to do with the flavor of of what of what mm-hmm. that God is a patron of, right? And so and- I have a question about how clerics work here. Then, and, and I apologize if you answered this more directly earlier, and I was just kind of spaced out or something. But um, when specifically when a, when you become a cleric, do you have to have a patron? Like, is that part of how this works in your campaign setting? Oh, for or the dru- be- for the druids, yes. But I'm well, asking for, for clerics for in general. Like, can you be a cleric who is not patron bonded to your god? No. No, okay. in this setting, a, a cleric or a druid always has a patron. Okay. A wizard might. Okay. And the way that they relate to the patron is different. You know, the way the, the way that the cleric relates to the patron is much tighter and and uh, uh, and, and much more at, at the patron's beck and call. Um, and But they a, a cleric must be associated, or a druid must be associated with a patron, with a wizard, it's optional. Cool, thank you. And there is still disapproval for the druid, just like a mm-hmm. cleric, which mm-hmm. yeah makes sense. Um, you added the additional alignments of good and evil. Yeah, as yeah we started that actually with the first chaotic. book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and that I, I just uh, I hope that's not too uh, heretical from a DCC standpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was reading this that druids are never chaotic, but they could be good or or not good. And I'm like, oh man, we're back there. (laughs) Also, quick, quick point of clarification for anybody who's listening. That does not mean that this campaign system has the nine point alignment system. It's not that. It is your your alignment is either lawful, neutral, chaotic, good, or evil. 
those are your five choices. Yeah, there's there's five. It's not it does it doesn't have the combination alignments. Okay. Um, but I've I feel like good versus evil is a more uh, sometimes a more meaningful descriptor of of a person's philosophy or a creature's philosophy than is just law or chaos. But um, but we keep we keep the law and chaos as well. Um, but yeah, again, in his in D and D historically, druids are always neutral because of balance. Blah blah blah. Well, right. But no, right. druids, if anything, by his historically, would probably have been lawful because they were also keepers of the Celtic law and often served as judges. Uh, and so I, I said they're often lawful. They could be good, neutral, but they're never going to be chaotic because they're so tightly associated with tradition. Uh, and just to go through the rest of the classes really quick, uh, are which spell burns hit points versus ability points? Which it's both. is Oh, they, they, they oh, So, like, if she wants okay. to burn five points of strength, she must also cut herself for five points of damage. Oh, in addition to... Oh. Yes, because because she follows Skatha, the life thief. Yep. And uh, you don't do anything without sacrificing blood. In addition to... Okay, I'm going to change yes. that in my, my show notes so I remember for later. Um, I dig the Fae Touched, which is basically a, a wizard with a different set of birth augers and a couple of elven traits. A couple tweaks, but yeah. Um, it's just a wizard template. And we, of course, have the bard. You can't have the Isle of the Celts without the bard. Exactly. Uh, I really liked the uh, the spell song mm-hmm. and and the counter song mechanics there. Uh, it always reminds me of uh, Modaset, the spell song sorceress. Um, but they get to cast spells with no chance of corruption, which is kind of fun. And you can invest traits into your performance checks, and yeah, it's yeah, definitely well, you can one only of invest personality, which is also the attribute sense. that you need to cast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every time you invest, sense. all for all future uses or all future songs are that much harder to do. Yeah. So it's 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 it's. Spellborn with more of a bite in a sense because it, it, it right. makes it harder for you to do your thing. Um, now, I did want to circle back real quick. The druids get automatic access to their patron spells once they form a bond. Now, does that include the higher level spells as well? Even if they're not, even if they're only level one. Well, you can't you can't cast something that's beyond your level, no. So, okay, so okay. The, the the patron has a first, I just a, wondered a second, what, and a third level. So, yeah, I right, wondered what yeah, your you take would be can't on cast that. Above your level, correct? Okay. Hey, it, every judge is different. I just wondered how the uh, rules as intended okay. versus rules yeah, yeah, yeah. as written. That, oh, that'd be that'd yeah. be way too right. Um, and I gotta say, I I dig the the spells that you've put in here. It feels like some of them have been built out from the curses um, and some are filling in holes from like the first ed stuff that we remember that we keep looking at the spell sheet and going, why aren't these in here? Um, I, and I just, I have to say my very favorite one in here is, what was it? Um, was that a level three? The Magnum Opus mm-hmm. where you can create this work of art, whether it's music or visual art and at different levels, it inspires emotion from the viewer or the listener. And I 
that so goes along with with the Irish tradition, and I love it. Well, Celtic, I should say. But yeah. Well, I've always loved the notion and been enamored with the notion that a thing done purely enough and well enough could achieve supernatural effects. Um, And so that spell kind of sprung from that notion that, uh, yeah, this this bard, whatever kind of thing he's creating artistically, that it could be done with so much uh, emotion and so much um, purity that it could produce magical effects. So yeah, it, it it produces emotions, but it also has uh, can produce some some uh, some some spin off other magical effects and so forth on that area, and in, in many cases can be a permanent impression made upon that land that where that that was done. Definitely a bit of O'Carolan in there, maybe even a little Darby O'Gill. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and definitely that line between magic, technology, um, yeah. art, and religion is kind of a line that's more modern than um, than anything else. Like it, traditionally, throughout the uh, throughout human history, those have kind of more been part of the same pot as opposed to now. Like like how we like to divide fantasy from science fiction, we also now divide art from technology, from religion, from magic. Mm-hmm. But really, they yeah. all are kind of part of the same pot in some ways. Right. Well, like that saying, any sufficiently advanced technology is technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. How very Vancean. <laughs> so, Jen, should I go ahead and head on over to Africa? I love it. Let's do it. All right. So Kingdoms of Africa. Um, so I want to start by saying, um, until recently, I knew very little about African mythology. Um, but recently, I've actually had some experiences that have made me much more knowledgeable on the subject. Um, a, a little over a year ago, I was required in my schoolwork to take a class uh, called Introduction to African Religion. And mm-hmm. in that part of what I did is I, um, I I had to read Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. Love Achebe. Uh, which is yes. a fantastic book. Um, also recently for the Appendix N Book Club, we read Amaro by Charles R. Saunders. Mm-hmm. And Charles R. Saunders is also very inspired by Chinua Achebe and very much inspired by like actual African folklore in terms of building a um, uh, um, a fantasy setting, as opposed to like Robert E. Howard or Edgar Rice Burroughs, who are doing it more from the perspective of um, the exoticism of Africa right. um, through the lens of those who were um, uh, colonizing the, the land. So it's a very different perspective through Chinua Achebe and Charles R. Saunders than it is through like Robert E. Howard and Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, but first, I would love to chat with you about uh, the author and uh, your choice of the author, because I saw this author's name, I googled the name, and the only thing I could find was a woman in Nigeria who um, does technology law, but I'm pretty sure that's the same person. It is, yeah. Okay, so how did you find this person, and why is she, like, what, what happened? Tell me about this. Right, okay, so, I, you know, I want to just quickly add one of the seeds for this many years ago, uh, a friend of mine who was a gamer happened to be an African American gamer made the comment to me that in his er, growing up as a gamer, he couldn't help but notice that everyone who was portrayed in fantasy literature and art did not look like him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we were talking about what we wanted to do next with expanding the world, 
that that kind of itched in my thoughts and 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 came forward um and then also um our family homeschools and uh, last year my wife said to our son all right you need one more credit of history what do you want to study and he said well you know everybody studies european and so forth i want to study history of africa cool Ooh, so that's broad. They, well right but um uh and so they did that and spent a year uh studying that and and so afterwards my wife was like we have to expand there are so many cool cultures there we have to do that as our next expansion so um you know i'd heard stories about when oriental adventures was done that they did that project and there was uh, apparently um by tsr that, that there was apparently not a single asian person on the team mm-hmm. and um so I thought, okay, well, this we have a very outsider perspective on this. We need to bring in some help. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I started off looking for artists. Um, I'm in a Facebook Dean, a Facebook group called D and D Fantasy Art, and there was this one uh, African artist who had put up these character drawings, and I thought I really like his style. So I emailed him and I said, "Hey, how would you like to get in on our project? This is what it is." He said, "Yeah, that sounds great." And I said, "You know, just for giggles, do you happen to know anyone who's a writer?" And he said, "Well, yeah, my sister. Oh. Uh, she's a she's an amateur uh, fantasy writer, and um, not she has she's not a gamer, but she writes fantasy type stories. And so great, put me in touch with her. Uh, his name was Isaac Ubi, and and then uh, her her name is Kemi Ubi. And so we we contacted her and said, hey, this is our project. What do you think? She said, oh, it sounds like a lot of fun." Um, we said, okay, send us a sample of your writing. She did. And we thought, yeah, this, she's, she's, we like her style. looks good. Um, and so that was how we got in touch with her. It was, it was kind of just serendipitous. And then it was actually one of their best friends who did the cover art. So, so yeah, they <laughs> all live amazing. in, yeah, they all live in Lagos, Nigeria. And, um, and it was, was kind of surreal to be coordinating this project with someone on the other side of the world. I love that. And I really want to commend you for making sure that you had um, that you had voices who were doing who, that you had people who were doing both the art and the writing who were a part of this culture so that it's just not more just um, white people walking in and laying claim to something that's not theirs. So, right. yeah, they've had enough I, of that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, no. I really want to commend you on that. Um, and based on my very little understanding of this stuff from that course in the two books I've read. I am not claiming to be in any way uh, an expert on this subject, but based on what I had read, there were certain things I was hoping to come across. And a, a big part of that was spirits, ancestor worship, and a very non-judgmental depiction of polygamy. And I was really pleased to see all three of those things incorporated into the text um, and very much like a part of the um, the setting. But more than anything, what I really, really, really loved is the shaman class. And first, I want to say it is 18 pages long, wow. which normally that would be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that does not fly in Dungeon Crawl Classics. There are no 18-page character classes. However... Essentially, almost all of it are the ex- or is, is the listing of the different spirits they have access to. Essentially spells, you might call them. Exactly. Yeah. So, th- so the shamans, okay. if I'm understanding this correctly, do not have spells. What they have are spirits that they can, con- that they can contact 
And when they make the contact, they essentially do a spell roll to get some kind of um, access to some kind of power from that spirit. When you start your shaman, you pick one spirit that is your main your main go-to spirit. You're rolling a d24 with those. Then every time you level up with level one, you also have a minor spirit. Level two, you get a major, three minor, four major. Every time you level up, you get one more spirit. And either you're rolling a d20 or a d16 with that, depending on whether it's a minor spirit that you have a minor connection or a major connection. So Is it's my kind understanding of like a correct? series of invoke patrons? Kind of. like it's a. It seems huh. like it's a bunch of like mini invoke patrons in place of spells. Am okay. I am I explaining this well, Ed? Yeah, very very much so. And and uh I, I can't, it really pleases me to hear that you liked it. That was the <laughs> one part of the book that I wrote was the shaman class. I love it. <laughs> I love it but, so much. But yeah, so the notion is instead of casting spells, they contact uh they have a collection of spirits that they are familiar with. They contact those spirits and then the spirit works a magical effect for them. Um, the effects are structured very much like spells. Um, the highs and lows are are are, are a little bit more, uh, a little bit stronger than with with uh, with regular spells, just because you you stay with that spirit as you level. Uh, you don't, and, and so um, it's not like you're going up to higher level spells. You you invoke that spirit. So yeah, it's 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 it, like many invoke, invoke patrons. Yeah yeah, and then you you invoke that spirit. You roll to see how your connection with it is at that moment, and then it does the thing for you. And yeah, you pick one that is your primary one that's mm-hmm. going to drive the very much drive the flavor of your 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 character. Um, and that that one that you pick as your primary also gives you a couple boons. Uh, at like at first level, if you pick the um, uh, the one that is rain, which is healing focused. Uh, I think you you your natural healing is slightly faster or something like that, um, and then at fifth level you get a second boon. Um, and I also wanted to write the shaman class so that it could be portable to other environments. Um, I actually test played a shaman character that was a Germanic shaman that was in the regular Poxlex Way universe, um, but. Uh, and, and and so the 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 spirits that I put forth there are meant as to be to be relatively generic. Um, they are given, you know, this is a spirit of rain. This is a spirit of the wolf, and so forth. And they're given the African uh, Zulu, if I remember correctly, names for those uh, um, concepts. And um, but you could take that and then apply it because there were various animistic cultures. Uh, in in all parts of the world, and and use that same concept uh, in a different setting. Now, when you take on a project like this, you're 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 putting yourself, you're opening yourself up to some scrutiny. And I'm going to go ahead and ask you a potentially awkward question here. Sure. So let's say, for example, I was somebody who really wanted to um, be offended by the existence of this of this piece. Mm-hmm. One argument that I might make is that the Isles of Celt um, geographically take up about 93,000 square miles. Mm-hmm. And the kingdoms of Africa geographically take up almost 12 million square miles. Mm-hmm. So Africa is, a, is Africa is more than 126 times the size of the kingdom, the islands of mm-hmm. the Isle of Celts, but yet it gets a comparably sized... <laughs> 
book, <laughs> setting book. Mm-hmm. So if somebody were to come to you with a complaint about that, what might be your response to that? Yeah, and actually that was something that, that struck us in the process of um, going through the, the organization and planning was that um, I think in large measure be uh, – well, there I think from my – understand and this is of course again my also imperfect understanding of african history that is that is influencing this two factors one um there are various geographical factors of africa um that influence the weather and because of the way that weather is influenced the there's a much greater tendency towards nomadic groups as opposed to a group that would be able to settle down and live in a certain area long-term. And as a result of that, uh, there were fewer, um, uh, I guess you might say kingdoms. They weren't all necessarily called that, but uh, certainly by area as as compared to, I actually trimmed down the Celtic kingdoms uh, to represent the ones that were in the Celts book. Um, we did wow. a lot of research to come up with um, the list of African nations that we were going to cover, and um, there there simply weren't as many historically uh, historical ones as you might think, or at least a lot of the ones that we um, that we believe were there. We know very little about, not enough to form a notion of a. Um, uh, um, description because um, the that civilization came, civilization came and went, and uh, there wasn't a, a written record, and so uh, there's there's not enough to go by. And it, but it's also showing the the chauvinism of Western scholarship a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, part part of it is yeah. some of that stuff. If it had been excavated as much as places in Israel or London or whatever, we would know a lot more, but that has not necessarily been done either. And, and billions of books haven't been written in English about them and all that stuff. So, um, and, but that's not Ed's fault. You know, that's, uh, that's scholarship yet to be done. That's correct. And it's not Ed's fault. That's Julian's fault. (laughs) um, I'll take it. I'll take it. Ed, I'm going to take you out of the hot seat and I'm not going to put you in the lukewarm seat. Okay. And what I'm going to ask you here is it's kind of pedantic, but if we're going to have a if we're going to do an, an alternate history book with that also has like elves and dwarves and halflings and something, I did a control F through Kingdoms of Africa and the word elves shows up four times. Mm-hmm. Dwarves shows up once and halflings shows up once. Mm-hmm. So part of my question is like, why bother like like <laughs> having that? be kind of a part of this world if we're not going to be like talking about it more and integrating it more. Yeah. And, um, uh, some of that, um, some of that choice was a matter of, uh, direction that our author wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we, you know, the, some of that was also, as we were doing, um, the, the PAX book, which, uh, well, you know, and, and you may notice likewise too. There's very little of mention of non-human races in Isles of the Celts, um, aside from the Fey. Right. Um, I, didn't do, I didn't do a control okay. F for those. Yeah. Ones. yeah <laughs> they're, they're, um, there, you know, in, with the uh, with the Pax book, there were 
certainly there were certain areas that we felt like, oh, this feels like an elven area. I mean, mm-hmm. instead in Greece, instead of being the historical Greek people, it's elves because you mm. know art and and philosophy and so forth. Um, the the mountains of of Turkey. Well, let's stick the dwarves there, etc. Um, and we were concerned about how we might apply um, uh, fantasy races into some of these. Um, uh, some of these tropes and notions within Africa without coming across poorly and without um, um, making it seem like we were uh, misrepresenting a, an actual historical culture. And we didn't want to do that. Um, so uh, the the only um, significant fantasy race that we've got present there is the, the felids, which is the cat people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we made sure that that was one of the areas that uh, our guest author did in its entirety because, again, uh, we don't want to, in the process of trying to in, uh, lay a template on top of something else, do so in an insensitive way. Perfect. And I am um, done grilling you. I'm not going <laughs> to ask you any other hard-hitting questions. <laughs> I do want to say, though, for anybody listening – I say I personally feel like the Kingdoms of Africa book for the shaman class alone is like completely worth it. The shaman class is so super cool. So thank you, Ed, for contributing that to the DCC world. It's so funny that you. you jumped on it the way you did, Jeff, because I had a very similar experience in 2003, 2004 with sub Saharan African history and magic, witchcraft, and religion classes. Like at the same time concurrently. So, but there was a reading list of like 12 uh, novels from, you know, I. I don't know. I, I was so excited because, hey, African history, that's going to be like Egypt and stuff, right? No, no, below that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then starting around the late 1700s. So, you know, just when all the white people were arriving, because that's when the most history books were uh, created, apparently. <sighs> Anyhow, um, but yeah, no, very, very cool stuff. Uh, we will be sure to put a link to the Reorgan Games uh, page on drive through RPG in our show notes. And I know we're running a little bit pressed for time, but there's just a couple of emails calling our names right now. And before we move, I got us, I'm sorry, I'm going to do a 10 second shout out because it's so fantastic. And I don't think I've talked about it on the show, but, uh, apropos of African mythology and fantasy literature and gaming, I, last year or the year before, I read Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James, which is like one of the most original fantasy books I've ever read and blew my mind in terms of adventuring in medieval Africa type uh, thing and also beautifully written, also extremely, uh, you know, gay forward with a, a, that narrator and love story and everything else. It's like one of the most by far unique uh, <laughs> fantasy works I've ever read and and terrific book and goes, you know, into fantasy settings that are not often broached. So highly recommended. Um, and I'll, I'll link that somewhere. Well, and, and awesome. Thank you, Julian. I guess we'll have to put in uh, Chinua Chibe in there. Sure. And uh, Charles R. Saunders and Morrow. Yeah, yeah. Saunders and uh, you know what? 
So although Kingdoms of Africa does not have an inspirational reading section like the Greek We're creating it does, for him. It's okay. Uh, there you go. Michael you, Gruber's, all you need to do is check the Spellburn show notes. <laughs> Michael Gruber's Tropic of Night is one of the best ethnological or ethnographical uh, mysteries I have ever read. It deals a lot with the Yoruba tribes. Um, okay, that's it for me, I promise. I call upon the flame to suffer you. I call deliver the message for me. I came here to give you these facts. Summon email. Emails, that's it. Yeah, that's where we were. Um, there's a couple quick ones. Uh, let's see, Julian, we had one that was addressed to you, but I don't, you ripped it up into little shreds and it, it breaks my heart. Um, so, Jeff, uh, can you dive on one real quick? Yeah. um, So we have uh, John Williams emailing us. Um, He says, loved the episode. Ha ha ha. Uh, This email was sent to us on April 1st of 2021. So apparently he found something funny. I'm not quite sure what it was. Um, Perhaps it was our April Fool's Day episode. No, no, it was our we didn't we we made a reference to John in the episode. Oh, that must be it. That must be it. Ah, He took it it in good spirit and uh, (laughs) we appreciate your good sportsmanship. Good. uh, Well said. Well said. Something like that. I can't. Yes, thank you, John. Yes. Okay, rummaging down. There's a really quick one here from Mike Burke, who says, "Best episode ever." That's all. Also dated on four one twenty one. What what a coincidence! Interesting. Yeah, no clue. <laughs> uh, thanks again to the crew who uh, orchestrated that for us. Yes, again, big thanks to Carmen, Dak, and Tim for for oh and Haley for doing that. That was so yeah. I was like, fun. don't you forget Haley? I will cut you. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, yeah, yes. I hope. I yeah. hope that episode is nominated for an Emmy. <laughs> That, just, that just would saying. be. Are there any's at this Gen Con? That would be something. Uh, I don't know. I don't are know how they're any, doing it this year. This year? Oh well, they if did it. There are. They did I it last year, about, but it was online. I thought. Yeah, I haven't heard about nominations for this one. Hmm. Interesting. If it happened, I missed it, and I didn't submit it for this or Appendix and Book Club. So <laughs> neither one of us are nominated. Don't. That's for sure. <laughs> don't drag us down with you. Hey. <laughs> If I don't notice it and y'all don't tell me, then we're not getting nominated. (laughs) All right, Julian, your turn. Grab an email. Uh, We got one from Mark Palmer, and he uh, he writes, "Uh, I was hoping you could put a call out on the podcast for judges and players for AlbaCon 2021. It's an online charity convention Saturday and Sunday, the 2nd and 3rd of October. Our chosen charity this year is Penumbra, a mental health charity based in Scotland. Uh, The con is organized by a bunch of Scottish gaming fanatics uh, after all. So uh, the proceeds from the con go to the partner charity. Last year, uh, we raised over 3,000 pounds for the children's cancer charity, It's Good to Give. And we had a great DCC representation at the con, which which helped us do so. We're looking to do even better this year, and we'd be really grateful for the same level of support from our amazing community. Um, Thanks, Mark Palmer, convention organizer for Albacon. So obviously, I'll put a link in there, and uh, I had looked at the site today. 
Uh, as of today, the August 2nd, Monday, um, you can still submit games to run. And it looks like event registration goes live on August 19th. So depending on when you're listening to this, uh, you might be able to go and grab a game or shortly be able to go grab a game. I believe I can't remember if I ran games last year or I know I at least played in a game or two. And I maybe ran one, but I uh, had a good time. And there were like games with Brendan, games with Dan Bishop, I think. And, oh, uh, Ed's maybe. waving his and hand. Ed. Ah, so Ed's part of this one too. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, so I ran some last year. This was a great con. Um, Mark was really super great to work with. Uh, I highly support this this con and conceptually too. It's it's a it's a you know the you know it was a great charity. So uh, yeah. That's very cool. Go for it. Very and good. now this episode would not be complete without a huge shout out to our special guest for helping to orchestrate the road crew presence at Gen Con Indy this year. So hey. Ed, thank you for getting the word out and pounding the proverbial pavement and finding the people who are, are going to be there. And as a result, what you you have your own room at the JW now? Yeah, uh, JW two hundred five. Um, we are running twenty five events now. They're all sold out. Awesome. So from going from zero to uh, zero representation of DCC to twenty five events, uh, I want to make sure to to mention to uh, Erica King. Yes. Yes. Did a did the the vast majority of the communication with the folks at Gen Con and and she. Um, so she deserves a lot of credit too um, for for negotiating with them to to get the ball rolling. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah she to was, all the people who she was great to work with um, from a GM standpoint as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, um, thanks to all the people who 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 agreed to run, um, and uh, I'm. We don't generally go to Gen Con. We're just we're going this year because again we're going to every con we can. <laughs> And so I'm super pumped that uh, it's it's not going to be a DCC-less Gen Con. Yes, that will be... Oh, man, that would be way too weird. But I guess that means after hours, at least until they lock the door, you've got a room there. Or oh, we could right. yeah. um, default to the Embassy Lounge like usual. I'm not sure what the game plan is. So, yeah, and I'm going to put up a... Uh, I'm going to get a banner printed um, uh, that has DCC type artwork on it and put it uh, there at the door. Awesome. And we're going to encourage people that if you didn't weren't able to get an event submitted, but you still want to use this space after six o'clock, because you know we'll have open tables as an open gaming area for DCC or MCC X Crawl. Um, we could uh, serve as the open gaming central for uh, for Goodman Games play. So beautiful. Well, yes. Uh, thank you, and thank Erica, and thank you, Gen Con, for having us. I guess. <laughs> Is that the appropriate thanks? Um, I look forward to seeing a lot of road crew presence there. And yeah, this will this should probably drop just in time for people getting ready to head out to Gen Con. And that will be awesome. Well, Ed, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, Yay! Yes! Thanks for having me. It's been fun. And, and thanks for the excuse to dig into some more third-party work that... I might otherwise have said, yes, that's pretty. I don't have time. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks for being a good sport with my um, a little bit more hard hitting questions. No, no, it's it's very valid. Uh, you know, this is it's important that that this be done right, and and we wanted to be very cognizant of that. So, uh, I hope that we've done it justice. I I think the fans will love it. They just need to check it out and give it a spin. As always, uh, email us at theband at spellburn.com. Leave iTunes reviews. Send us some more bumpers. I know I said something earlier about that. And uh, (laughs) game on, guys. You've been listening to Spellburn. Copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com.